This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media where we grab a drink with the people who play a role in shaping New York City real estate. I'm Miriam Hall, BizNow's New York reporter. Today we're having a white wine with Joanne Podell, who's the Executive Vice Chairman for Retail Services at Cushman and Wakefield. In 2016, she was named the brokerage's top producer around the globe, and she remains one of just two women to receive that title. Look, I'll have a glass of Chardonnay. That's not, that'll be great. We meet at the Grand Salon at the Baccarat Hotel on 53rd Street. This is the first hotel from the French crystal maker. There are silk wall coverings, parquet flooring, glittering chandeliers and glassware. I'm sure it's fine. Thank you. You're not picky about your Chardonnay? I'm picky about very little. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Joanne didn't get her start in real estate until the 1990s, when she was 47 years old. She had built up her own successful furniture business, but after she bought into a limited partnership, she had a lease on a warehouse in Long Island City, and costs became too much. The business went under, she lost everything, so she decided to become a retail broker as a way to support herself and her three sons. When I think back, I say to myself, how the heck did I ever get through all of that, you know? But when you're doing it, you just get up in the morning and go to work. I, I was more concerned with um, how long it would take me to accelerate what I had to learn in order to make a good living. Because, you know, I went in there thinking, oh, I'm a retailer, I'll be able to be a great retail broker. And uh, shortly after I uh, started working, I thought, this is not an easy job. I, you know, just because I'd signed leases didn't mean that I knew the market or valuation or who the right tenants were or any of the other things to accommodate a, a client. It was a challenge. Her older sons got jobs to help out and she began to get to know the business. She still had one store, so they lived off those proceeds and the money from her son's jobs. But it still took nearly three years before she got her first commission. So when was your first deal? What was my it? First great, my first deal was very exciting. I had cold called, who was then the CEO of Dwayne Reed, with an idea. Mm-hmm. They had no residential stores. His name is Bruce Weitz. And Bruce and I, I identified a location on 2nd Avenue and I want to say 63rd Street. Mm-hmm. And we negotiated that deal, and that was my first big deal. And it gave me credibility in the marketplace. So what was it like closing that first deal? And I got in my car, and I put my head down, and I cried. You were almost crying I know, thinking because about it. It was, it was so momentous. So you had a big cry in the car. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was it. I was off. <laughs> so one of your most famous deals is the Nike deal yes. on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, I didn't cry about that. I know. That's, I mean, Actually, I did cry. That's not true. <laughs> of course. it was. That was a long time coming. You know, literally for eight years. Eight. 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 First we started talking about, should we stay on 57th Street? And then the determination was made that maybe we really should be on Fifth Avenue. What is the best place? We actually negotiated a deal, and then we lost out to another tenant, back into the market, and uh, ultimately made the deal that we, that we did, which, end of the day, it was the best location. The market had shifted. We, were, we got a much more compelling rent, so it worked very well. It was very exciting. One of the things I've, I've read that it was like $700 million over the course of the lease. You probably can't confirm I can't, that. I can't. But, but that's it, a, but big it was a big number. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. And you know, it's funny because people tell me that there was the aggregate number. Mm. I never thought about the aggregate I never thought about the commission. 
everybody says, oh yeah, you were counting your commission. I wasn't. My job is to do the deal. Mm -hmm. You're due, Micah. Right. And people who know me will laugh and tell you, she never knows how much money she's going to make on a deal because I don't, because I, I, my focus is on getting it done. So. What do you love about the deal? Is it the complexity? I like being punished. I don't know. <laughs> it, was, um, it was the complexity of the deal. It was so exciting. So you're a very successful woman um, within the commercial real estate industry. You're very high up, but women still under-earn me. I mean, does that bother you? Does it annoy you? Does it frustrate you? Of course. Well, I, I think with respect to women that are in, in uh, brokerage, it's a different paradigm because we are based on commission. So it's a different conversation. But generally speaking, women in an industry, whether they be in um, finance or in real estate, but in administrative roles and management roles, one would hope that there's more equanimity. I'm sure there will be. Um, do I feel badly about it? I spend half my time mentoring young women because I think it's extraordinarily important that we find our voice and understand that our value is equal or better, depending on who we are. And so, yeah, it bothers me. It bothers me because I have three granddaughters. What was it like for you? I mean, you it was started from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't taken seriously. There were very few women in the business. Um, it was a challenge, and rightfully so in the beginning because I didn't have the knowledge or experience. So you can't expect people to trust you or give you their business. But even after many years, when I had the experience and a history of doing business, it's still hard. Men looked past you a little bit? Um, you know, I'd go into a meeting, you know, as recently as seven or eight years ago, I'd walk into a meeting. It's different today. I'd be the only woman. And, and oftentimes, they didn't really want to hear what I have to say. Now they have to hear what I have to say. Must be a good feeling. Um, I don't think of it that way. I'm very appreciative that I've reached that point. And I hope that there'll be many, many young women that can do as well or better than me in the future. And you have to earn it. Yeah, you, you, have wanna, to offer you just want a chance to learn. <laughs> exactly, and you want to offer what people, value to people. And if you can do that, you want them to listen. I mean, how many times I would be cut off, nobody would listen, mm. now they call me. Ironic. What do you tell younger women? I know you do a lot of mentoring and it's something yeah. that you feel very strongly about. What do you say to them? Well, the most important thing is to keep moving forward. And, and there are people that are disrespectful in every world. And in every Men business. and women. Right, <laughs> exactly correct. And so you just understand what you, what you bring to the table. The sad part is I think that women have to be smarter and harder working to, to achieve the same thing that men do. I mean, it's very hard not, not to get paid for the first few years. So for me, I make sure that all my people are in a drawer, and I guarantee it. Look, I make a good living, but I need to be appreciative and I need to give back. When you, um, when you look at retail and how it's going now, I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary what we've seen happen. I mean, Lord and Taylor closed. I mean, who could yep. ever imagine that that yeah. would happen? Did you ever think that you would see that day come? Well, specifically Lord and Taylor, yes, because it had no reason for being. Really? Yeah, I mean. But it was so what beautiful. Did, it was, it's a beautiful edifice, but um, what made it's the so product? <laughs> I know. What made the product right? What made it something so compelling that people should go there rather than go to Macy's or Bloomingdale's or Saks or the higher ends of the Bergdorf's of the world? They just didn't have a place anymore, especially after it was bought, you know, and, and it was became part of the chain. Relevancy, you know, what works in today's world? How big a store? How much product do you really need? How do you bring your customer in? Um, what do they want? 
How do you create that marriage between e-commerce and bricks and mortar? These are the things that are very, uh, they're not just important as a silly, they are critical to the future success. Um, and, and so you need a reason for being, and they didn't have it anymore. So you're a retail broker though, yeah. you, you make your living on retail. Yeah. So looking back on the past two years, headline after headline of really bad news, that must scare you a bit. Not a bit. How come? First of all, last year we had a pretty good year, in, okay. spite, in spite of the fact that it was a very tough year. Uh, our commissions are down, and the reason they're down is rents are down and term is down, but that's okay, you do more deals. Why doesn't it scare me? Because there's always opportunity in life, you just have to find it. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, service people, listen to what they have to say, find a way to satisfy what their needs are of the moment, have committed relationships, help people, work with people, despite the fact that you may never do a deal with them, or you'll do a deal two or three years from now. It doesn't matter. You need to be a partner to these people. And over time, you'll do business. So what's doing well right now? What, what, what's actually succeeding? What deals are happening? You know, it's a myriad of deals. I mean, last year or the year before, you'd say it's all health clubs. Last year, you might say it's emergency care units. Um, you could say that food had been a very important part of the, uh, of the leasing mix. Food slowed down. Uh, we've got enough athletic wear to last us for the next number of years. I think we'll see some changes there. Um, and so it, it became to, uh, evident to me that what's going to happen now is that the new young digital brands are the ones that we're going to look at. And it's going to be fun to see them evolve and how they develop. And for the most part, in order to be successful, they're going to need bricks and mortar. But these aren't the deals, I mean, a small store in Soho. You don't make a living. You don't make a living from them. They're not the big, they're not the Nikes on Fifth Avenue, right? There they're... are very few of those. You need to work hard. You need to do a lot of deals. I do a lot of deals. I don't depend on one deal. That was an aberration. I mean, I, I've, I've had other deals that are, I did the Nike in Soho, you know. I represent um, ESRT, I did Sephora and Foot Locker and uh, Target. How exciting is that? We did those deals. The smaller concept ideas. Yeah, yeah. Things like what IKEA is doing. Exactly. They're, they're, and then I represent other landlords and we work on their behalf. But you have to, I work hard. There's no way to do this and just put one foot in. My friends and my children say, can you just do a, slow down? I said, well, you know, you need to be relevant and you're only relevant if you're in the market and part of it. If you were giving someone some advice right now. You need to like people and you need to feel like, I think you have to understand what your role is. You, you know, and not feel too important about yourself because you don't own anything. You're not at risk. All you're doing is presenting ideas that turn into something else. You're not putting your money in. And our time is our money, of course, as brokers. But we need to be respectful of that. What's your formula when things aren't working out? You know when you feel like things, it's just brick wall after brick wall after brick it's wall? It's hard. There's no formula. It's hard. Um, we had, um, last year, most of our business got done at the end of the year. And we've been working, the team had been working really hard. And it was like, oh my God, are we, and every time we thought we had this deal, it <laughs> fell apart. And 
I'm thinking, this is going to be the worst year I've had. <laughs> and it was hard. But the answer is we just kept on working. And at the end of the year, a bunch of deals closed, and it turned out okay. I mean, it wasn't my greatest year, so what? It was a good year. Do you think you'll always keep working? You don't have any plans to retire? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy, my kids ask me the same question yeah. all the time. <laughs> right now, no. Because it's not like work to you, or you just have always worked? Probably both. I've, I've been working. I mean, I once looked at so funny. Sometimes I got this Social Security thing once. It shows me how long you've been working. Mm -hmm. 15. Since I'm 15, I've been paying into Social Security. And the three years when I lost my business, the only three years I didn't put money in. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been working my whole life. I just, it's not that I don't enjoy other things, but I, I, this is kind of part of who I am. I know that you said publicly that you're conservative and you supported Trump. Do you yes. still support? I support some of the things that he, that he said. We need to be, as a country, supporting and working for the things that this country needs. And, and some of the things he mentioned, infrastructure, women, women's rights, these are important. They're not issues, they're as of right. Mm. You know, like in zoning, they're as of right, we should have them. Um, how we educate our families. The fact that drugs that cost $10 to produce, people who need them have to pay 100 and they can't afford them? What, what, what's wrong here? So, whether it's Trump or it's some other person, I don't care. I just want to see our country back on track. A lot of people say all this disruption, all this tumult, all this negative attention is damaging to business. What do you think? No, Does I it worry? Know. Business is good. Employment is up. I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know mm -hmm. if he's telling the right numbers. I have no, no way of knowing. No, no, I don't think so. So what's next for you, do you think? It's not retirement, we know that. I like my work. Um, I love being with my family. They're the most important part of my day. And um, I don't feel like, I know everybody laughs when I tell them this, but I don't feel like this is my last career, which is a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll be perfectly happy if I play this out the rest of my time as an as actor. As a working person. person. I'll have no complaints. But I always tell everyone, I don't know. I feel like there's something else. We'll see. I like figuring things out and what works and what doesn't. Those are the things I like the best. Let's Have a Drink is created and produced by me, Miriam Hall. It's edited by Travis Gonzalez. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner.